0: Last week, we were, we were in Numbers chapter 14, and we talked about the Israelites being at the border into Canaan and what that meant and how they had disobeyed God and not followed Him into the Promised Land. Today, we're gonna to jump about 40 to 60 years later. We're gonna cover that much time as we're in the book of Joshua, And the 40 years have passed. That generation that didn't get to go in because of their disobedience has has passed from the earth. And they're now ready to go in again. And they're at that doorway once more. Moses has passed away. The book of Deuteronomy closes out with Moses dying. And he did not get to go into the land of Canaan. Not because he wasn't unwilling, but because of another situation in his life that God said, you'll not go into my land. But God did take him up to the peak of Mount Nebo and let him look over and see the land that he had led the people to. But then Joshua takes over. Joshua, one of the spies who said, we need to obey God. He and Caleb said, we need to go into the land. And so now he has become the leader of the people. And so we're going to look at the book of Joshua. And I hope you have your Bibles. It'll be on the screen. But there's nothing like the, having your own word. And uh, there's a movie, and I'm planning on us looking at it uh, later this month, called Jesus Revolution. It's about the Jesus movement in the 70s. And when the preacher gets up, Lonnie, he gets up and he says, everybody got your word? And they all raise and hold up their Bibles. And it's uh, great. So I, you know, I want you to bring your Bible, even though we put it on the screen, because there's nothing like reading out of your word. But we're going to look first at three passages in the book of Joshua, starting in chapter 3. And we're going to see how God has provided. Chapter 24, we'll get to in a minute. Joshua has recounted to the people all that God has done and then challenged them. We're going to look at three of those situations. In Joshua chapter 3, at verse 3, they're standing at the edge of the River Jordan. They're on the east side of it. They're across from the city of Jericho and it's time for them to go in. And so God gives them the command. He tells Moses to have the priests get ready with the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember from uh, previous lessons and sermons, the Ark of the Covenant represented God. It held the tablets that God had given Moses. It held some other uh, items in there and it represented God and it was holy. And so it was on a... Uh, had the long poles. The priests would carry it on their shoulder. And so God has commanded them to go. Let's start at verse 1 in chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shechem and went to Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark, and do not go near it. Then jump down to verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, The water flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And that is just such a tremendous account. Most everyone, Christian, -Christian, non-Christian, Bible-believing, know the story of Moses leading the people out of Egypt and how God parted the Red Sea and they went across on dry land. There's been movies, live and cartoon, People know the story whether they believe it or not. But there is this other occasion where God parted a river. And the Bible tells us that the River Jordan, it was harvest time. And at that time, it was in a flood stage. So it wasn't a mere trickle. It was a raging river at this time. And yet, when the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped foot into the water, it parted. And it didn't just part a little ways. The Bible is very specific that it heaped up a long ways off at the town of Adam in the area of Zarathan. And I think it's uh, just important that God put that kind of detail in. And as you continue to read the chapter, you'll read that the pagan people in the area knew that that had happened and it put fear in their hearts of the God of the Israelites that this water had parted. But it's also critical and important to note they didn't part until by faith they stepped into the water. And the priest had to be a little nervous. You're carrying this ark, and the ones in front get the the fun job of seeing that rushing river there that could sweep them away were God not involved but when they stepped into the water, it dried up. And it says it ran on down to the Salt Sea, of the Dead Sea as we call it today, and dried up. And then it stacked up a long ways off and the people were able to go across. Tremendous miracle that God performed. And all the Israelites crossed over and the priests stayed in the river. And while they were there, it was dry. When all the people had crossed, God commanded Joshua to have men go in, pick up a stone and bring it out of the riverbed and set up an altar. And then once that was done, the priests came out, and the Bible tells us, as soon as they stepped out of the water, out of the riverbed, the water flowed back behind them. But God had them set that altar up, that, that uh, stack of rocks, one representing each of the tribes. And He commanded them that what it was for was later, when you're bringing your children by, you can tell them the story of how God had heaped the waters up and brought them into the land. And then they went into Jordan. A tremendous miracle that God performed. That's miracle number one, is where He piled them up. Now we're going to go to John chapter 6. And we'll start at verse 1, and then we'll jump down to verse 20. Second miracle. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one went out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry the trumpet of ram's horn in front of the ark, on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and people will go up, every man straight in. Now verse 20. When the trumpets sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged in, charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. What a crazy battle plan! That's not how you do battle. You do battle by getting big, strong men, and you give them good weapons and you, you set them up and, and they attack each other. And of course, a lot of times in those days, they would just be out in an open field and go at it. You didn't have snipers, you didn't have uh, tanks to shoot cannon, or shoot shells a long ways off. But here God says, to march around the city and make some noise, and do that seven times, but God did that. God, through the process and as they obeyed, the walls came tumbling down, an old song. I sang that part of my recital, matter of fact, Joshua 5th, the Battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down and the Israelites were able to rush in. The Israelites had by this time formed an army and they had kinsmen from the east side of the Jordan River join them. And they had, it says, about 40,000 strong, but that was not enough to counter those all in the land. So God did a tremendous miracle here where through His work, through their obedience, the walls came crashing down. Now chapter 10 and Joshua. In chapter 10, we read that they're getting scared of the Israelites. They're starting to see something's happening here. First, the water piled up and they were able to come into the land. Then the great city of Jericho fell. In between our readings here, the city of Ai fell. And now they're looking at the city of Gibeon. So they started thinking they were getting a little smarter. So five kings came together to band their armies together to come against the Israelites. So let's pick it up in 10 verse 7. So Joshua marched off up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Haran and cut them down all the way to Azkana, easy for me to say, in Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Aska, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Again, God did another miracle. The Israelites had to be engaged. They couldn't just sit back Twiddling their thumbs, waiting for God to do anything. They had to go to battle. They had to be ready. They had to go in and, and do the work of the warriors and the fighters. But yet, it was through God's intervention with the hailstorm that it tells us that actually more were killed from the hail than the soldiers killed. So God did another miracle there in that battle. And so throughout the book of Joshua, and it's a great book to read if you hadn't read it, and it's it's a great, just a great read that keeps your interest to go through and see what God did in their lives. God had done these miracles over and over again as he had promised he would. He was ready to do this, back in the Numbers account when he first led them to the land of Canaan and wanted them to go in. God had his plan in place. He had everything set. He was ready to bless them with the land. But because of their unwillingness to believe, because of their unwillingness to follow what God had said, they ended up wandering in the wilderness. And that generation of able-bodied adults died in the wilderness, unable to go in. So we're at this point now, and God is now being tested to do what He said, and He does it over and over again in a miraculous way, and in a way that the people can know that it's Almighty God. And as we have seen and said, the pagan leaders in the area realized they had a powerful God on their side, the God of the Israelites. They thought very nationalistically about the gods back in that day. They, they thought that each nation had their God. And so the Israelites had God Jehovah and it was obvious he was more powerful than any of the other gods the cities worshipped. He saw them through all of this. So now we're at Joshua chapter 24 where our passage in the Scripture and the bulletin states, Joshua's an old man now. Some 20 years have passed since they went into the land of Canaan and they've possessed the land. They've driven out the other occupants before them. They still have some work to do. Joshua says in 23, there's more to be done but they, they are in the land. They've settled there in this land that was given to them, this land that was promised to them some 500 years earlier to, the, to Abraham when God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. So he, remi- he begins by reminding them of the promise that A- God gave Abraham those 500 years ago. And he reminds them how God brought them out of Egypt after their 400 years there and under the oppression they were suffering that he raised a leader and that leader Moses went before Pharaoh, challenged him, did the plagues to where Pharaoh finally said, fine, get out of here. And then God defeated them as they changed their mind and came after them. And so now they're at this place where they should have been. And so in summation, Joshua says to the people to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. But Joshua also calls the people to be honest in their choice. And this, there's a, 2415 is a well-known verse we'll get to in just a second. But this passage here is, is, is just so interesting to me Because Joshua is very direct with the people. He challenges them directly. Perhaps, uh, as we can sometimes do as we get older, we don't worry about what people think anymore. We just say what's on our mind. But Joshua is also being very truthful and prophetic to them when he challenged them to be sure and choose who they serve. It was up to them. There were other gods. They'd seen the gods in the area. They knew what the other people did and they saw what their God did. And so there in that verse, Joshua challenged them. If it seems right to you to follow the Lord your God who has done these things, then commit your way to Him. But if it seems better to you To do to follow the pagan gods of the area. If you think that's a better way to go, do that. In other words, he was calling them to integrity, not just to go along with the crowd, not just to uh, to to agree with Joshua, but to choose for themselves who they were going to commit to. So let's pick it up at Joshua chapter fourteen, twenty four fourteen. Excuse me. Joshua has recounted now what God has done for him. Verse 14, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshiped beyond the river and into Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves these days whom you will serve. You know, Jesus talked some time later, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Which I I take to that phrase, say what you mean, mean what you say. And that's what Joshua is saying here. Mm -hmm. Be honest in your assessment. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose the other gods. Whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. And then Joshua makes this Famous pronouncement, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That is a popular plaque. Sue and I have a little brass plaque that has the last part of 15 on it uh, to, to have up in our home that we make as a prayer in our lives. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But it gets interesting. The people go on, the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. And they profess, it was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our forefathers out of Egypt from the land of slavery. So they acknowledged they were under oppression and performed those great sights before our eyes. They were eyewitnesses. Some of these were children at that time, but they've now grown up and they remember and they know the stories He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Oh, Joshua should have been busting at the vest. These people he's been leading, they're they're agreeing with him. Oh, God did all this and we're going to follow him. But is that what Joshua does? No, not quite. Joshua says to the people, you're not able to serve God. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. So he doesn't let them off the hook. He's really challenging them. Okay, you can't just give lip service here. You've acknowledged all that God has done. You're praising Him. You're saying you're going to serve Him, but be warned. If you take this stance and then turn away from God, He'll take His hand off of you. Verse 21, But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, oh here's where the rubber meets the road. Now then, says Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he drew up for them decrees and laws, and Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the yoke near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words of the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you, uh, but if, if you are untrue to your God, then Joshua sent the people away, each his own inheritance. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance. So he really lays it out to them. And they really have no excuse. They, they saw what happened when their forefathers their fathers their uncles their their aunts their moms and dads refused to obey God and go into the land they wandered in the wilderness god provided for them he took care of them god takes care of his people even when they disobey but they did not receive the blessing God intended when He intended for them to have it. And so they had seen this, and in some ways, not even having faith, they just cognitively could have said, hey, it's smarter to (laughs) obey God and go into the land. It doesn't mean that all of them had this deep, great faith. They just knew what happened if you didn't obey God, and so they went ahead. And we can find ourselves that way today that we act out of a sense of tradition out of a sense of a habit to serve God but it's not necessarily grounded in deep faith and so Joshua is challenging them here he's saying now now wait a minute before you go on and do this commitment before you swear your allegiance to God understand that if you do not follow your word, if you do not keep your vow, if you do not obey God, then He will, uh, in my words, remove His hand from you. He will come against you. And that happened. They eventually, they did keep turning away from God and God did eventually carry them into exile. So Joshua's laying them out, laying it out to them as much as he can be sure you understand what you are saying. Be, un- be sure you understand the ramifications of your commitment. and they assert that they do, that they realize God had had worked to provide for them, protect them, to bring them into the promised land, and they commit themselves to serve the Lord. And so Joshua accepts that, and then he gives them more decrees about how they should live. God won all those battles for Israelites by His intervention and His miraculous powers. That happened some thousand years ago, but God wants to do that today. We still have challenges today. The challenges haven't gone away. Christians and people over all the years have faced various hardships. We've faced evil. We've faced wars. And all through that, God wants to provide, to intervene. And He calls on us to rely on Him. However, in spite of the account we've just read in the book of Joshua and hundreds more in God's words, we often refuse to trust Him. We who will testify to our belief in God's Word and acceptance, will then say, well, that's not can't really be true. Or God doesn't really mean that. Or that's old times. He wants something different now. But the Word tells us God does not change. The principles stay true. And God still wants to work through us to establish His kingdom. It's not a kingdom of armies. It's not a kingdom of countries. It's a kingdom of God reigning in people's hearts. And then we look forward to that day when He does establish His earthly kingdom. So we must remember, when we become Christians, we're ushered into a supernatural world. The ways that God won these battles did not fit the knowledge, logic, and wisdom of man. It's not how you do battle. God acted supernaturally to effect the solution, to effect the victory. And God works supernaturally. He works beyond our understanding. He works beyond our strength. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God said through Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what becomes incumbent upon us as Christians and following the God we profess to follow is to develop his mindset, to hear him and hear how he wants to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. It doesn't mean we check our intelligence at the door or those, those kind of skills that we've gained, but we say, Lord, how do you want to use what I know and can do to further your mission? God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And God wants to tell us that if we look at Jeremiah 33 3. God says through Jeremiah, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. As we face these challenges before us, whatever the challenge is, our main challenge given by Christ is to. Share Jesus Christ with our community. As we talked about sometime back in Acts 1 8. Go ye therefore to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world of the world. Jesus, one job, you know, I like those I like those memes you see on Facebook from time to time. You had just one job and you failed. The one job we've really got is to tell others of Jesus Christ and introduce them to Jesus Christ and let them then lead the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's the one job. But it is an a overwhelming task to us. And it, it, it is overwhelming because of our esteem of ourselves. Oh, I can't do that. I, I don't speak well. Moses tried that. It didn't work. God gave him Aaron and said, go speak. Time and again, God has not accepted that excuse. He will provide. He will give us the words. He will give us what we need to say. But we look to Him. Lord, how would You use me? How would You use us to accomplish Your will? Call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. And He'll do miraculous works. And He has done miraculous things, things that would not be expected. I think last Sunday night, we saw one uh, just in that. In John chapter 16, Jesus shows us how God has already provided this. John 16, we'll start at verse 12. I'm not sure where the slides will be, but I'm going to start at verse 12. Jesus is preparing for his crucifixion and his ascension to heaven. He knows it's coming. He's trying to teach them and let them know it's gonna be all right. In 1612, he says, "'I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come.' He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more Then, after a little while you will see me. Jesus, when he was on earth, was in a finite body. He had limitations on his godship because of being in a human body. And he knew he needed to ascend to heaven. He needed to go back to the Father, but he wasn't going to leave us as orphans. When he ascended to heaven, in God's scheme of things, which I don't, I don't understand all about, that released the Holy Spirit to come down. And there again in Acts chapter 1, we have that final command of Jesus, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit I have promised you and told you about comes to you. And then you shall be my witnesses. That draws a, a, a great analogy there. Jesus said, stay in and, and wait until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you shall be my witnesses. In other words, don't go out in your own strength. They had walked with him for years. They knew the stories of Jesus. They had lots they could tell about him that they did later. But Jesus is saying, don't go under your own strength. Wait until you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Then you shall be witnesses eventually to the whole earth. And so we no longer have to wait. Now, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit is immediately available to us. He immediately infills us, indwells us, and immediately as Jesus taught in John 14, 15, and 16 especially, He imbues us with wisdom and knowledge and power of God Most High. He speaks the things He hears from God to us. He tells us how we need to go, how we need to accomplish a task, how we need to move together. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And God has provided that for us. He has provided the Holy Spirit through that faith in Jesus Christ. And it is incumbent upon each one of us. And so we have Joshua's challenge before us each new day. Each morning as we awake, we really have that choice. If you believe you're better off following your own mechanisms, your own knowledge, your own strength, your own way, then do that. Be honest about it. Don't give lip service to God and then do what you want. But if you recognize the work Jesus Christ has done in your life, the sacrifice He did for you, His death on the cross, taking your sins upon Himself, carrying through the grave, releasing you to have fellowship with the Father, and sending the Holy Spirit to infill and indwell you, then choose to serve Him and ask Him, what would you have me to do? Choose ye this day whom you will serve. We need to do that every single morning because... We tend to have poor memory. We tend to be forgetful. We tend to need that reestablishment, that recommitment. As we are in this body and every body of Christ, we have different people, different viewpoints, opinions, different knowledge. How can they come to agreement to move forward in serving God? By listening to the Holy Spirit. How can God's people overcome disagreements and factions? By trusting God's leadership. Not expecting people to follow me or you, but all of us seeking to follow him. That's how we do that. By trusting in God's leadership through the Holy Spirit. How can God's people be victorious in this world? by following the Holy Spirit's leadership. But to do that, each one of us must surrender our will to God Almighty. And each morning, we say, Lord, I am Your vessel. Use me. Show me who to speak to. Give me the words You need me to say. Empower me to live the life You've called us for. Thousands of years ago, before the Israelites, God was searching for someone who would faithfully follow him. I really believe, although I can't show you verse and scripture for this, but I really believe in that time, the time of Abraham, that God was issuing a call. God's call is universal. It was Abraham who heard and obeyed and followed. And because Abraham followed and obeyed, he was made the patriarch of a great nation. A nation that did become more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. God today is still issuing that call. Who will serve me? Who will proclaim me? Who will obey and receive the blessings I want to pour out on their life? Who will obey and receive this abundant life that I came to give you? And He's calling each and every one of us, each and every day, serve me, obey me, trust me, and I will pour out blessings that you can imagine. Call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. So, how will we respond today at this moment, but how will we respond each day? Have we been to the cross? Have you received Jesus Christ? That's the first step of the Holy Spirit coming in. Have you been to Calvary? We're going to sing that song. Do we acknowledge all that God has done in our life, or do we take credit for our success? Do we realize the times He's protected, provided, and poured out His promises on us? Or do we think we're charmed, or just extra good looking, or extra capable? Will we surrender our will to Him today and commit to following His direction in our life? God is always calling, waiting for us to respond.